Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you? Doing well. Um, I was thinking we hadn't really made any predictions uh, here on the podcast, but I was curious as to your take on whether we'll see college football this fall. I know we're fast forwarding through the summer, but it seems seems reasonable to do that. Well, slight correction is I did make a prediction earlier in the year uh, when we played Notre Dame and that correction ended up being correct. I also (laughs) predicted a a Michigan victory against Wisconsin and I don't think that game was ever played. So there's no point in even discussing it. Uh, (laughs) So one for one on my predictions. I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that we're going to see stadiums filled with 100,000 people in just a few months' time. Um, they've talked about kicking the can down the road and maybe doing a spring league. They've talked about doing games without fans, which I can't see that in the college environment either. So I don't know. It's much to my chagrin. I don't think we're seeing it in the fall. But maybe we'll see it at all. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I I, I can't imagine, like you said, there being stadiums full of people and I don't even know if there's going to be classes this fall, you know, and True. I think that's pretty much, uh, that's been well discussed in, in the media. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I, I doubt we'll see a, a, we might see, who knows, they're talking about having baseball with no fans this summer, but it's, it's all going to be a little bit. Uh, well, in Detroit, we did that last season. It went just yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. We, it'll be, it'll be just like a normal, you know, normal course of business for uh, the Tigers. So right. in any event, um, well, let's get rolling today. Uh, we have a, a guest joining us. Jonathan Barber is the managing attorney at Franchise.Law in Charlotte, North Carolina. He and his partner, Jason, exclusively, exclusively represent franchisors around the world in transactions and litigation. And in his free time, Jonathan can be found spending time with the wife and two and almost three young kids playing guitar and brewing beer in his garage. So Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jay, Tom, thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining us. Um, and I want to start with uh, a question that uh, may, may not deal with the practice of law, but um, be a chance for us to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so uh, let's say that Tom and I and our wives were to come down to North Carolina and, and hang out in your garage with you and your wife. Um, what would be, what would you play us? Uh, what song would you play for us on the guitar? And what kind of beer would you serve to us? What style of beer do you brew? Oh, right now, um, I am just taking uh, out of, well, I, they're bottled and um, they'll be done carbonating in, I think, five or six days. I'm pretty excited. It's a, a real nice Northeast IPA mm. um, with these special kind of hops in it. And I dry hopped it, which is like you throw more hops in at the last minute to make it even hoppier. And uh, that, that is what I would serve up. And um, uh, as far as playing a song, I would probably play the final countdown by Europe. That's literally all I'm, you know, blasting around here because my <laughs> wife is 37 weeks pregnant. So, <laughs> nice. um, so that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Drinking and singing Europe. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we're, I would have predicted that, Jay. That's where yeah. we'd be in, in week seven of, of quarantine. <laughs> 
That sounds yes. about right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got the drinking thing down. Tom, I know you're a musician. And so I, I have maybe I could something I can pick up. I've got a ukulele here that what the kids uh, are playing. So maybe I'll maybe I'll pick that up at some point. But in any event, all right, well, that's cool, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing that. Um, but let's start talking about your legal practice. And um, I, I want to dive into the fact that you have, uh, as I described in your, your short bio, um, a very specific uh, niche focus to your practice, um, serving franchisors. So what led you to that decision? I know many lawyers have a hard time uh, narrowing their focus and narrowing their position. So um, what led you to that? And then were there any sort of mental hurdles you had to get over to narrow your practice down to one specific niche? Yeah, there were definitely mental hurdles along the way. Um, when I graduated law school 2015, I got hired right out of law school by my now law partner, Jason Power. And he had been doing at that time franchise law exclusively for, I think, seven or eight years. Uh, he had one year of family law experience before that. And um, ultimately, his one of his law professors had done some franchise work in the past and had gotten him into it. And uh, he had started his own practice and built it up to a pretty sizable practice. And uh, uh, yeah, he hired me right out of law school. And I still like to joke that the last time I wore three piece suits when I sat down to interview with him. And he never lets me hit the end of it because that's probably the last time I shaved too. <laughs> um, but he got me working on franchise stuff right out of the gate. And then uh, within about a year, uh, he told me we became great friends and we went to lunch one day and he told me that he was going to leave and start his own practice so he could run a different model, um, treat clients a little bit better, do some things better from a billing perspective. And he had differences with uh, his previous partner and he liked me, I guess, and uh, thought that I'd make a good partner. So asked me if I wanted to go in on it, 50-50 uh, with him. I said, yes. And we left, took about, seven or eight franchisors with us um, who were on varying billing schedules, hourly retainer, stuff like that. Um, it was a little bit um, to make ends meet, I guess, to, to pay the bills. I was taking general litigation work, transactional work, forming LLCs, things like that. And um, did that for about a year or so. And then I think 2017, we decided to really niche down just to the franchising work um we just saw a need if you if you looked us up in charlotte uh you googled franchise lawyer we were the only ones that came up uh, there were one or two other firms out there um but just a really great niche where here in charlotte no competition at all and um then fast forward even past that 2018 we decided that the franchisor side of the practice was just better and so we niched out even further to just doing that. And I think in 2018 is kind of when my last couple of old litigation matters fell off. And so since since probably June of 2018, we've just been doing franchise or work. Yeah, uh, one follow up on that. So through that evolution, uh, I know you mentioned how there's was and, and perhaps still is very little competition in Charlotte for the type of work you're doing. Have you have you experienced uh, an expansion of your sort of the geographic scope of clients that you're serving or um, are you still kind of focused in the North Carolina market ex uh, exclusively? 
Yeah, interestingly enough, we have never been focused exclusively in North Carolina because franchising is all at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, the model rule 5.4C is burned in my memory that uh, allows limited practice in various jurisdictions uh, if it arises out of your practice for the client. Um, and so we're allowed to do, or there's also that phrase about like an exclusively federal area of law or something like that. So that's how we're able to represent clients everywhere. Uh, just within that franchising space. The moment they're like, hey, I got an employee issue. I'm like, oh, number one, I can't. Number two, you don't want me to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would butcher that. But um, yeah, so we we practice nationally. We have several international clients as well. We bring franchises into the United States, take franchises out of the United States. We usually uh, co-counsel with international counsel on those. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan, I'm, I'm curious, um, going back to what you said, it was almost the way, at least the way I heard you describe it was, it was sort of a discovery that you had no competitors. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jay and I are big proponents of, you know, really targeting your audience, establishing a niche. In fact, it was the very first topic we tackled on this podcast in episode one the whole goal of which is to eliminate competitors. So it's a strategic Mm -hmm. move to get so narrowly focused that few can play in your arena. So I'm interested what you, since you discovered that that was the case, what might you tell someone, another attorney or firm that is struggling with this idea of, you know, narrowing their niche out of fear that um, it's going to limit the playing field for, you know, whom they're targeting. What would you tell them? I can just give them real life experience uh, as proof of concept for niching down. We joked that when we were going to switch to just doing franchising, we were cutting off any marketing whatsoever. We were rejecting leads for other work and referrals. Um, We thought it was gonna be a pretty slow transition. And I remember it clearly, it was like a magnet. Uh, We just flipped a switch on and out of nowhere, just tons of work started pouring in as we were getting people to know all we do is franchise law. I think for a whole year or two, our motto, our, our mission statement was all we do is franchise law. Yeah. And uh, then it shifted to now it's excellent legal services for every franchisor. But before that, it was very much making people aware that I don't draft wills. I don't draft deeds, things like that. Yeah, clarity. I, I think I mean, what we try to tell people is that clarity is magnetic eventually. Um, you're going to attract the right types of clients and prospects and naturally over, you said you were turning away business at the beginning. Eventually that just becomes natural because you get the reputation that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted shifting over to the concept of thought leadership now for a moment. Um, so it's around the thought leadership project podcast. Have you used thought leadership? What types of thought leadership have you used in your marketing that helped you build the practice over the time uh, since mm-hmm. you've started it um, with your partner? Yeah, I, um, so in establishing our status as thought leaders or experts, um, it, was, it was really just communicating that, hey, we've handled these situations before. Uh, on a consultation, someone would come in with some big, real complex franchise issue, and I'd be able to say, it's okay. I actually just tackled this a couple of weeks ago or months ago for a client this is how you're going to get through this or you have these two options. I recommend this one based on experience, letting them know that you've tackled that before. Um, Writing a lot of articles 
for, for every possible publication out there. Uh, but getting it in the right publications, obviously. I, I had an article in Franchising World Magazine, which is the biggest publication in our, our I guess, our trade area. Um, by the IFA, the International Franchise Association. Uh, I had an article in there called um, Sweeping the, the Legal Minefield of Explosive Franchise Growth or something like that. Um, but that's kind of getting it out there um, was the first step. And then now we're, we're still getting stuff out there, but it's really maintaining that expert status. Uh, I thought that was a big takeaway from Jay's book was you, you don't just get there, you have to stay there. Um, and I think staying there is almost harder because you see other people kind of getting in that space. Yeah, you have to continue to, uh, yeah, you have to continue to stay. I mean, thought leadership is, is an evolution, right? You're, you're continually getting better. You, what you're trying to do is stay one step in front of the competition, obviously, and also one step ahead of your, of your clients in some ways, because you need to be able to kind of forecast the future for them. I guess that's the mark of a, of a thought leader. Um, mm-hmm. jo- Jonathan, and, and I think that's, you know, that outside publishing um, opportunity that, that you've pursued. I think that that's really smart. It's another topic that Tom and I talk a lot about is, you know, many attorneys default to just publishing all of their content on their own website, which is, which is good. And that's, it's important, but finding those, those targeted outside publishing opportunities where you're actually reaching a much bigger audience of your target market is, is one of the keys uh, to, to pursue. Think about marketing more, more broadly, Jonathan. Um, and I think this is another misconception when we talk about niching down. And I think a lot of lawyers think that, you know, marketing is, is easier when you have more, you know, quote unquote targets um, out there to try to identify. Um, but, you know, I, you know I'm, a, I'm a believer in the fact that it becomes a lot easier when you have a narrow market because you can sp- start specifically identifying um, those that you can serve, um, you know, they all uh, belong to the same trade associations, attend the same conferences, read the same publications. So marketing becomes much easier and more effective when you mm-hmm. niche down. Has, has that been just generally your experience as well? Absolutely. Yeah, it is easier to, um, it's, it's more effective to target those specific groups of people as opposed to, so, so think of it this way. We, we love working with existing franchisors who have already gone through the process of franchising their business. We also draft franchise documents for brand new franchisors or you know, just entrepreneurs that have a great concept that want to franchise it. They are a lot harder to find because they are mm-hmm. anybody, entrepreneurs that, right. that have an idea, a concept. It's been open for 10 years in 10 locations. It's been over six months with one location. Um, a huge range and it's really hard to find those people. I can find them. I would just have to spend a lot of money Mm -hmm. to find them. Uh, And that would be a very broad net versus the international franchise association is the, the gold standard in the industry. Everybody in our industry is members of that. Uh, Even our big firm competitors, others on our playing field, uh, all the franchisors that are, you know, really, you know, doing things right are members of it. They have conventions, they have expos all throughout the year, and we're just very prominent and, and involved in that organization. So obviously, I can spend a couple thousand dollars being very involved there, or I can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars spamming in front of every entrepreneur in, in North Carolina. 
Right. Yeah, no, a much more targeted approach. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm not surprised at all that that's working for you. Um, one, one kind of uh, narrow question here uh, is, you know, we haven't seen a lot of this adoption yet, but I, if our listeners caught it, you, you, you're, the name of your firm is actually franchise.law, correct? And yes. you, I think your firm is, is one of a relative handful that have adopted the, the dot .law domain. Um, what, I guess, what went into that decision and, and how, how has that sort of branding worked out for you? Yeah, I always thought it was just a cool idea. I'm a millennial and I gravitate toward those new things. Um, we heard mixed opinions as to whether dot law is good or bad for SEO. Um, I'm ranking at the top of the results and then the, the map results. So I guess it works. Um, other than that, we, so we wanted to get away from Barber Power Law Group, PLLC. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything, right? You should take every opportunity to brand yourselves. And I mean, we're not buying billboards and things like that to do just excessive branding exercises. So we're naming the firm franchise.law. We could have two attorneys, we could have 50 attorneys, and it's still franchise.law. The IFA's website is franchise.org. We are franchise.law. <laughs> um, That's convenient. It was just, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was just really well received. Um, and I know a lot of those .law domains for PI attorneys and things are going for very exorbitant amounts of money. Ours is, is pretty affordable. I think it was like two grand up front and then it's like 200 bucks a year. So yeah, that yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that you know your the point you made about branding is is important. Uh, we 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 talk about branding a bit on the podcast, but probably not enough. But just you know, branding yourselves in a way that resonates and describes to your audience, you know, what you do and what value you deliver, as opposed to the typical way that you know, law firms, even even in choosing a name, um, they opt for the last names of the individuals at the firm, as opposed to creating a, a unique name that that resonates with the audience you're trying to attract. So I think that's that was a really, really smart move. Um, Tom, yeah, a lot of people misspell it and just type in franchise law. So that's true. <laughs> ultimately, it does kind of bring them back around. So Google will see all these people searching for franchise law that end up on our website. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the results that you've been able to generate and maybe contextualize those in the form of tips that you might be willing to provide other attorneys who are considering thought leadership. And I thought I would maybe erect a quick uh, straw man for you to set ablaze. And it's based in reality because I think there's a, uh, if, if nobody's done this before, and by this I mean thought leadership marketing, they might look at a piece of thought leadership content that answers questions, offers free perspective and advice, doesn't overtly sell, they'll look at that and say, well, this doesn't feel like marketing. This isn't business development. How is this gonna get me any more business? And so what would you say to that person? Because I'm assuming that you, you know, have built that approach into your thought leadership program that it's not overt selling. It's not waving your hand saying, look at me and look at all the results I've generated. It's free perspective, free advice to the hopes that eventually you're going to be attracting that magnetic sort of aspect of the inbound lead that you described. So what results have you seen that you might say, and again, to the straw man, you shouldn't think that way because of this. Any tips to Mm. offer? Yeah. Uh, People just hate selling content right? 
people do not like reading something that's a big sell. I know it was huge back in the Dan Kennedy days of these long form sales pitches. And I guess that might work for like products, but when it comes to sophisticated, at least most of my clients are sophisticated um, in this field, they're, they're looking for someone that's an expert. They are not looking for the, you know, the guy that does four or five things that maybe has done a couple franchise things. They're looking for someone that has a deep, intimate knowledge of franchise law. Uh, to give an example, I, I threw up a video on LinkedIn maybe five, six months ago of me walking out of the federal courthouse here in Charlotte after getting a judgment for a client of like three or $400,000. And it was very complex, lost future royalties, damages. Um, but we've got this real great book of case law here that provides me with that. And so I just explained it in like 30, 45 seconds and said to, I was like, for all of the other franchisors, make sure that you're aware of the rules for calculating damages in your jurisdiction, because that'll heavily impact whether you can hold your franchises accountable in the future. Click, put it online. Not a thing about like contact me for more info or any of this stuff. I think I have like 2000 connections on LinkedIn and it got like 13,000 views. So it oh. got past my network and I had all kinds of people commenting people that are, you know, not fans of that because they're very franchisee centric and there's both sides of people arguing. It just generated more and more discussion and things like that. Um, those, those are one of my favorite pieces I posted. And I think I got, I had three people send me messages that I had no connection with whatsoever that were like, Hey, I need to, I need to talk to you about a situation um, with one of my franchisees. And I think I landed one or two clients out of it. Just a simple video talking about a result. Right. Without, without selling, without saying again, like you said, here's the phone number to call. Um, and so would you say that's characteristic broadly speaking, maybe not every piece of content you put out the results in specific uh, casework, but would you say that's representative of your efforts, mm -hmm. just generally speaking, that it happens to drive inbound leads, even though you're not overtly asking for them? Yeah. So, so that's kind of one that's going out to the public, I guess, or whoever's on LinkedIn. But another example would be, we just put together a, um, uh, a breakdown of all the rules of what franchisors can do in their sales process while the renewals are pending. And we just sent that out to all of our existing clients. And so, you know, most of my clients are on a retainer. So it's not like I'm generating work for them to come and pay me more money um, to do things based on this piece that I sent to them. But what I'm really doing is sending that to them, number one, so they don't get in trouble. <laughs> but number two, so that it continues to establish that the fact that they're working with someone who is intentionally looking out for them um, and who knows what I'm talking about. So that's an example where there's no expectation of additional revenue, spent an hour or two researching everything, putting it together, sending it out. Um, but just to, to keep that thought leadership going on. Well, Jonathan, I think that's a, probably a good spot to wrap up. Um, and I love uh, hearing stories like this where, you know, things that we, we espouse and sometimes it feels a little bit, you know, uh, theoretical, but we hear the, the stories of those who are, are niching down and having a, a real strategic focus to their practice, really thriving as a result of it. So, so before we go, uh, Jonathan, why don't you uh, 
maybe direct people to where they can check out more about you and your firm, um, you know, websites, uh, that kind of thing, whatever, uh, wherever you want to point people, just let them know where to go. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, franchise.law. <laughs> How do you spell that? That's dot law. Yeah. <laughs> or if you happen to Google, I love franchise law, for some weird Google reason, we come up first. <laughs> nice. Perfect. So they can see examples of your thought leadership there and so forth? Yes. Yeah. Or if they follow us online, I'm constantly sharing things sharing right now, talking about all this COVID-19 stuff and how that impacts the franchise relationship and also talking about what this is going to look like when this is done um, yeah. and kind of some steps that franchisors can take now to make sure that they're set up to, to really succeed afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of COVID-19, um, how long do you expect that your IPA will keep? Because I remember an offer at the beginning of the podcast for us to come down and drink it and sing some Europe with you. So is it going to be still good in three, six months? <laughs> It will. It will. Um, I actually reserve one bottle of each batch and I just age it for like a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> well, save two. One for yeah. Jay, one for me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of highly doubt you're going to have this set aside for that long if we're stuck in our houses any longer, Jonathan. <laughs> but, if, if, but in any event, well, thank you. That was great. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure to include links to, uh, you know, your website and other materials in our show notes. So uh, for our listeners, thanks for joining us again. And please come back next week for another episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.